series called Confident in the Face of Hard Questions. And the whole point of this series um, is to help equip us to have answers for people that are asking hard questions. Um, and so that's what we're talking about. In May of 2022, how many of you guys ever heard of Elon Musk? You know who Elon Musk is? I, I kind of like the guy. He's kind of an interesting dude. Uh, I don't agree with, obviously, everything he's ever done or said. Uh, and this is one of the ones I don't agree with. In fact, I would love to, I'm sure, among a lot of other people, uh, be able to speak to him on this particular issue. But uh, in May of 2022, a man engaged with Elon on Twitter and said to him, uh, as a genius, haven't you found out that there is a great creator of this world yet? If you did, make sure you confess this before your last heartbeat bless you. That was what he said to him. And Musk replied, and this is public on, on Twitter, Musk replied, thank you for the blessing, but I'm okay with going to hell. If that is indeed my destination, since the vast majority of all humans ever born will be there. What a statement. Huh? He did not say all. Yeah, that's what I said. When I read that, I was like, that is, a, that is quite a statement, isn't it? Um, there are people that think of, I, I've been, um, I've witnessed before, I've done, uh, you know, street kind of witnessing where you just go try to engage with people. And that's an interesting thing. Um, it's not always effective. It can be. It's, you know, it's better than silence. Um, so I respect people that, that try to do that with a heart of love and compassion, and that's an important thing. But uh, I've had people tell me all kinds of, I'm just going to be selling, I'm going to be bootlegging water in hell, you know, saying those kinds of, well, I'll, just, well, I'll be down there and my friends will be yucking it up. And, and, um, and, and, and man, when I saw that this was the topic, I, I, I wasn't, if you're ever like, oh man, I can't wait to go talk about hell. You've got the wrong mindset about it. Um, if you want to talk about hell, I think it, we ought to talk about it with a tear in our eye uh, because it is not a fun reality. But it's a reality. It's a reality. And so the question that we're faced with, this hard question that we're going to be dealing with tonight is this question, is hell real? We may not know why we experience suffering, but there are specific truths we must recognize when we are suffering to help us endure it. That is not the PowerPoint. Uh, go to the next slide. I want to see if that's, try one more. Yeah, this is the wrong PowerPoint. That's one from uh, two or three weeks ago. Um, if you got your prayer list, on the back of your prayer list is the outline for the handout, and I want to make sure I get one just to make sure I'm on the right page here. I know Megan made a PowerPoint, so I don't know if she put it in the right spot there, Steve, but or, thank you, ma'am. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to talk tonight about this reality of hell. Now, um, the Apostle Paul I kind of want to approach this um, from one passage. We can go to a lot of passages. In fact, we are going to go to a lot of passages tonight uh, talking, about, <clears throat> talking about this subject of hell. I want to go to this passage in 1 Thessalonians where Paul kind of addresses it. And the way he addresses it, um, 
is as he's talking to this church in Thessalonica. Now, let me give you some background. If you were to go to the book of Acts and find out the history of uh, Thessalonica and Paul's uh, ministry there, Paul went and he started a church there in Thessalonica. And it, it was an interesting experience in starting that church because it had a lot of success very quickly. Some of the Jews got saved. It says of the Greek men, not a few. There's even some of the chief women, it says, that get saved. And, and things are going really, really well in Thessalonica. And as they are going well, um, Dave, you know, you know how like sometimes when you see somebody and they, you key off of how they look, you look upset. Did, did I mess up something? You. Huh? No, I think you're fine. I just wondered if I did something mess up. Okay, high five. I just love you so much and you look bad. I was like, what did I, did something happen? And I don't, this is probably not the best way to deal with this. Okay, good. If something was wrong, this would be a horrible way to try to deal with it. So I'm just weird sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are we all okay? We're okay. All right. Very good. So back to Thessalonians. I, I'm weird sometimes. Okay. Um, Paul has this incredible ministry there, and he's, things are going really well. And you know what's interesting? When things go well, if you're really serving the Lord and making a difference, Satan doesn't like it. And things happen. And I, I'll tell you what, in the last few weeks, I've had some just some weird, it's weird being a pastor sometimes. I'm just being honest with you. Just like questions I never thought I'd have to deal with, I'm dealing with. And it's fine. I'm not complaining. It's just, it's just weird sometimes. But anyway, so... Satan attacks, things happen, and, and you got to deal with them. Well, this is what happens. Uh, a guy, some things happen in the city there in Thessalonica. They go to Jason's house. They arrest him. Um, he, he posts bail. He comes back. The, the members that are there, they're kind of getting scared for Paul. So instead of uh, having him continue there, they take him outside of the city, and, and he leaves. And so his ministry in Thessalonica, if you go back in the book of Acts and read it, it, ha- it, it, it ends kind of abruptly. And he, he goes on to the next town, goes on to Berea. And so the book of First and Second Thessalonians, like so many of Paul's writings, are his attempt to continue to minister and to, and to uh, continue to disciple from a distance. Aren't you glad that he did that, right? Because now we, that's how God used the Holy Spirit to get us the Word of God. And so... Um, and apparently, as you read the book of First and Second Thessalonians, especially Second Thessalonians, apparently the persecution that was there at that time that kind of forced him to leave must have been continuing because as he writes to them, he's kind of giving them a, a thumbs up. He's saying, hey, you guys are dealing with it and you're doing good and you're sticking to the stuff. Stay with it. Keep going. Aren't you glad we aren't dealing with some of that kind of stuff? I mean, we... Um, we're not really worried that the cops are going to come in right now. I mean, does that make sense? We're not, we're not worried that, um, you know, in some mission field, some of the mission fields, like, I trust you and I trust you. I don't know you. You're a visitor. Um, I don't know if you're a visitor that's seeking the Lord or if you're a visitor that's trying to get inf- information on us. You know, that kind of thing happens. And so um, apparently those are the kinds of things they're dealing with. And they were specifically dealing with that in Thessalonica, but that was... This would have been applicable, and like so many of, of uh, the writings of Paul, like 
this was applicable not just to the Thessalonians, but these, these letters got copied and sent to all, all, a whole bunch of other churches that I'm sure identified with the potential for persecution in those churches. And so uh, let's, that gives you a context as the, to Paul and why he's writing here in uh, 2 Thessalonians. If you start, let's look down at verse number 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Okay, somebody tell me, what did he just say? Put it, huh? We're in First Thessalonians, sorry, Second Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse number 3. We're summing up just the first few phrases. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. What is he saying to them? There's only like 40 of us in here. You guys can talk. So he's saying, I thank God because you guys are growing. Your faith is expanding, right? It's exceedingly, right? Man, I love for people. I think that, yeah, anyway, I think that that could be said here. I'm really excited about what God's doing here. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. He's saying, man, you are growing in your faith to the Lord and you're growing in your love one for another, and that, and that makes me thank God for you, right? And I love to see people growing in their faith, and as they grow in their faith, they grow in their love for each other. Very good. Verse 4, so that we, glory, we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. What is he saying? You're growing, and, and apparently part of the evidence of your growth is how you're enduring tribulation and persecution. So much so, he said, we see that happening. And he says, uh, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. What is he saying? We're bragging on you. We're at all these other churches, and we're, we're lifting you up as an example to these other churches of people who are living for God in the face of persecution and tribulation, right? Now, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you are a Thessalonian and you're hearing this read in church, because that's how they would have originally, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Everybody gather around. Let me read this letter from Paul. How many of you guys would be like, that would probably be encouraging, especially if you were literally getting persecuted that week. You're coming on Sunday and you're like, wow, thank you, Paul. Yeah, that, that is cool. God is growing us. And yeah, it's hard, but... That makes me want to stick to the stuff a little bit more because that is what God's using the difficulty to help me. Verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. What, is, what does that mean? I'm sorry, what'd you say? You're good, I'm coming. What'd you say? That's right. He said, you're counted worthy to suffer. And what Ms. Starley said is, you'll be rewarded for that. And I think there's something that's to that. What else? This 
growth that you're experiencing and the example that you're providing by enduring and growing through that tribulation and patience is an example, he says, of the manifest, it's a manifest token or an example or evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Like this is, God uses, this is the righteous judgment, like the discernment of God, the, the decision of God, right? That ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Right? That, that's, you're living up to the king. How did you get into the kingdom? How do, we, how do we become followers of Christ? It's because Christ died for us. So we're following, when we endure persecution, we're, we're suffering like Jesus did. And that's what he's saying to him. This is a good thing. Then he says this, and this is where this subject of hell comes up. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now that's a world of verses, but what is he saying? Does anybody want to take a stab at Brian Hendricks, you are a brave man. What is he saying? I think that's exactly right. He, he, I think you're, 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 you're spot on, and you didn't say all that you could say, but you said, you said the right things. That essentially he's encouraging them to say that those who do not obey the gospel and do not believe the gospel and persecute those who believe the gospel, God will judge, and it's righteous for God to judge them. And what does that judgment look like? It looks like eternal destruction. Okay, now, hear me out. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God gives free will, and he allows men to make decisions, and you can choose to accept Christ, or you choose to reject Christ. And I think it's interesting, and before I get into my outline, I'll just walk through it. He says literally, um, who shall, verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I believe with all my heart that hell is a real place. Later on it says that death and hell are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And so uh, people are in hell right now. People are in hell right now. Um. Man, I hate that. I hate that. Do you hate that? Every good gift and every perfect perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
the person that curses God uses the good uses the gift of God in their body and their breath and their voice to curse the God that made them and gave them all those good gifts. In theology, we call that common grace. That there's, there's grace that everybody receives that, that has nothing to do with whether or not you believe in God or accept him or all that. Chocolate tastes that way to everybody. Right? And puppy dogs and rain and the, and the warmth of the sun on your face and the feeling you feel when your kid kisses your cheek. That's all the good gift of God, whether or not you accept Christ or not. And it's the mercy of God to allow you to receive it at all. Do you agree with me? That's for everybody. Here he says that the righteous judgment and the, the everlasting destruction happens when they're coming from the presence of the Lord, meaning to be separated from God. To truly be separated from God is to be separated from everything that's good. And when you start thinking about all that is good, that's a, that's a lot to be separated from. Does that make sense? And so um, I believe hell's a real place, but that what we're going to see about the manifestation of hell and what it is, is really the summation of saying this. It's a place where God and God's goodness you're separated from. Okay? That's what it is. And so what he's saying here to them is there's going to be a reward for those who are persecuting you. If they do not obey the gospel, their end is going to be eternal destruction, and it's righteous for God to do that. Sin that goes unpunished is injustice. And God is just. God is just. Well, how do you know God is just? Because for me and you to go into the presence of God forever, which is a great definition of heaven, to be around, separated from sin, around all that is good and loving and kind and merciful and gracious, is to... Is to to, to be in his presence in that way means that God had to do something for us. He had to get, he had to take care of our sin, right? He could not let that sin go. And so what did he do? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This God willingly offered himself up for us. And he became a propitiation, a wrath-bearing sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sin of the whole world. You're like, how, how can, I've heard people say, how can, how can a man being on a cross for a few hours outdo the eternity of humankind forever in hell. How could that happen? And it has everything to do with who Christ is. He wasn't just a man. 
and he was taking on the sin of the whole world. And the time isn't the issue. That's not the issue. Who he was is the issue. So, hell is real. It's a real place. God is not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there will be those, and he says who it's for. Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting that that phraseology, it's used in the Bible multiple times, being obedient to the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is good news. The good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again for our sins uh, according to the scriptures. And there is a, if God, there is this sense that if God did that, if God gave what was most precious to him and, and took, on, took on the form of a servant and died on the cross, to ignore that or to reject that is an issue. If, if someone was going to the electric chair and someone offered their son in their place and the guy's like, no, no big deal. I'll take it. Don't give me your son. I'll do it. That's essentially what you're doing. No, no, no. I'm ignoring the sacrifice that you did. I'm going to take it myself. So back to our outline. Here, here's a few ways to think through this. Eternal conscious punishment awaits those who do not follow Christ as pointed to in four ways in this passage. Number one, the justice of God. Hell is real, and one of the reasons why it's real and it's necessary is because God is just. You see that in this passage where he talks about um, he talks about God's, God's justice. Verse 6 says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Either Christ pays for our sin or we pay for our sin. And what he's saying is these people who are doing this to you, they're not, even though it seems right, right now they have the upper hand, they're not going to get away with it. Have you ever felt the sense in the last couple of years that it seems like people that are doing obvious wrong are just getting away with it? Have you ever noticed that? And I'm not trying to be political. I'm just seeing it just seems like it just seems like that's like what's going on. And you're just like, how are they getting away with it? I'm telling you, they're not going to get away with it. They're not. And so that's kind of the idea. So God is just and, and hell is, um, as much as we don't like it, it brings about God's judges, judgment. You also see number two, the demise of the Antichrist. You see that in verse seven and eight where he talks about what's going to happen uh, in the last day. It says that uh, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That The expression he's talking about in verse 7, when he comes back 
revealed from heaven and his mighty angels goes back to the passage that I was talking about. This is at least one of the times where this is happening in Revelation 19 that I, that I uh, spoke about on Sunday where it says that he sees this uh, heaven open, Revelation 19, 11, Behold the white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he makes war. <laughs> Judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture and dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed up him upon a white horse, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth, sharp, uh, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he might smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treaded the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the flesh of the, and, and them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast. Here's the point I'm making. The beast in Revelation is the Antichrist. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him and the false prophet was wrought miracles before him, which with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped in his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse with the sword proceeded out of the mouth and the fowls were filled with their flesh. Pretty crazy. So you see the demise there of the Antichrist. You see number three, the punishment of sinners. In verse eight, it's described as in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, God offers salvation through the gospel, through Jesus Christ to all. It's sufficient for all. It's sufficient for all. You can look at anybody and say, God loves you. Christ died for you. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, you do not have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. Not on your own power, but in Christ's power. You can say that to them. We should say that to them. Right? Um, but there is a responsibility. A responsibility. An ability to respond. And so that's what we have to do. I want to show you some descriptions of hell. In verse 8, he talks about flaming fire. It talks about um, everlasting destruction. Uh, I want somebody to, somebody go to Matthew. You see, the ver, are the verses listed there for you? Okay. Matthew 10, 28. Does somebody want to read that real loud? I'm going to give all of these out. Okay. Someone raise your hand for Matthew 10, 28. Okay, Brian, good job. Um, Romans 6.23, who's got that? Gentry, okay. Um, Matthew 22.13, anybody? All right, Miss Carol. And 2 Peter 2.4, 
All right, Miss Laurie. Let's start with that. Go back to uh, Matthew 10, 28. Yeah, real loud. So you have a description here of death, of destruction. Amazing. Romans 6, 23. Who, who said yes to that one? That's you? If you were to read Romans up to 6, 23, and you understand what death is there, death is not merely the ceasing of existence at life. Everybody spends eternity somewhere. So death here is separation from God. And the Bible says the wages, what we earn for sin, is death. So hell is eternal death. The first description is death. The second description is darkness. Darkness. Who had Matthew twenty two thirteen? Miss Carol. Hell here is described as outer darkness, outer darkness. Anybody ever been in a place that was pitch black where you, you put your hand in front of you and you literally can't see it? In uh, Missouri, there are caves all over the place. And we would, uh, I, I would go down, I've been in caves where they, they turn off all the lights. They have like lights down in the cave. They turn it all off and it's just like brutal. And it's, it's a, to imagine being in that forever. Yeah, that's just amazing. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 4. That's interesting that in there in 2 Peter 2, 4, the darkness is referred to as chains of darkness reserved for judgment. Amazing. So hell is described as death. It's described as darkness. Uh, Darkness, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Uh, someone read Matthew. Uh, uh, would you do, Justin, would you do um, Matthew 24, 51? I'm going to do Matthew 7, 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go thereat, but straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The, the, the idea here is just is destruction. It's just there's nothing of value left over. So hell is death, hell is darkness, hell is destruction. Matthew 24, 51, real loud. That same phraseology he says here at the end, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was also used in Matthew twenty two thirteen, where we talked about being cast out of darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you go and read in Acts um, the story of Stephen, who remembers Stephen being stoned, right? And Stephen's being stoned, um, and uh, before he's stoned, he's, he's uh, talking about Christ. And the Bible says that the, the Sanhedrin that was there, they were, they were like ripping their clothes. And they said they gnashed their teeth at them. 
and the idea of gnashing of teeth. I used to think of gnashing of teeth in the context of hell as merely like anguish, like, oh, like, you know, you're just in so much pain that you're like clenching your, your teeth. And certainly it can be that. But in Acts, that same phraseology is, you ever see somebody coming at you like, like they're mad, like, like they're mad at you. I think that there are people in hell that are mad at God. There are some who are weeping. There are some who are ticked off because they don't see it as just. And so they're still receiving the punishment because their their attitude isn't changed. They still hate God. Mark 9, 46 says, talking about hell, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter the kingdom of God with one eye and having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Hell is death, it's darkness, it's destruction. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The worm doesn't die. The fire is not quenched, it says in Luke 16, 23, and he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Verse 24, he cried aloud, Father, have mercy on me, said Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Revelation 20, 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is not a fun sermon, is it? Death, hell is also punishment. Hebrews 10, 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he is sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despot under the Spirit of grace, for we know him that saith the vengeance belongeth to me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again thou shalt judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hell is punishment. Praise the Lord, though, lastly, hell is a place that can be avoided. Hell is a place that can be avoided. Look at verse 10. Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you, it was believed in that day. He's, He's telling the Thessalonians, you don't have to worry about judgment. Because you have believed the gospel, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to be there with Christ. Verse 11, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and his power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye and him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um. I uh, 
I don't love talking about hell. Not my favorite topic. There's a part of me that naturally just wants to lift up Jesus and to talk about hope and life and light and goodness and righteousness and joy and that Jesus is greater and that there's life that's found in him. He says, I come that I might bring life, that you might have life and that more, what? Abundant, abundantly. Um, I like talking about heaven. I want to go to heaven. I was told this morning about a guy who preached here, I guess, who kind of figured he was on his way down physically. You know, the Bible says, though our outward man perishes, our inward man is renewed day by day. And I've seen that in some saints, like people who like physically look like there's just, they're wasting away. But if you saw who they were spiritually, they'd be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know what I mean? Like in his prime, like if you could imitate that. I've seen that. Have you seen that? Like that, that weird, like here's a, a guy who's a giant in faith in terms of his walk with the Lord, but physically is diminishing. And I heard about a guy who was here that was kind of in that kind of a situation who, who said, I, I guess until then, until, until I see you at home, he said something about next time I'll see you, I'll, well, I'll just see you at home. And what he was saying is, I may not be able to come back here again to see you. I'll see you at home. And I love that. Don't you? Like, I hate saying goodbye to people like that, but it's like, it's not goodbye forever. It's see you later, right? And there's hope in the gospel and there's hope in heaven and there's light and life and joy and lifting Jesus up is amazing. But Jesus, Jesus talked about hell. And it's not enough for us to, to just say, hey, choose Jesus or you can, you know, you have an option of choosing Jesus going to heaven, or you can just die and it's no big deal. No, no, no. If you die, if you die and you don't obey the gospel, what Paul said in First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians is true is that eternal destruction and punishment awaits. How much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them that that's a possibility? If someone's going to get hit by a bus, how much do you have to hate them to not push them out of the way? To not, to not warn them. And so I think we have to talk about both. I think we have to talk about heaven and hell. We have to talk about grace and joy, but we also have to talk about mercy that's needed from justice. Hell is real. There are some that want to say that it's not. I had a Buddy from college who I saw lately, he's worked in churches like ours. And I just saw him come out and post on, hey, we're just, I just don't know if I believe that hell is a real place anymore. And I just don't know if I can tell people that. And I'm like, if you're wrong, that is a gigantic, gigantic error. Now, I would be hypocritical to tell you that I live in this reality 24-7, right? That there, 
I w- it would be a lie for me to tell you that there hasn't been times where I've had an opportunity to speak up and I didn't. You ever have that? An opportunity to warn people and because it was socially awkward, because it was tough, you don't say it. Now, I do think that there is a time where someone who is stewarding the gospel well is careful about what they say and when they say it and how they say it. Okay? Right? So if you're at your son's graduation from high school, you don't get up in the middle and interrupt everybody and go, hey, there's a hell. Right? That is not a way to get a hearing. It's, it's not, that's not an appropriate message for that moment. You're going to do more harm than good. Does that make sense? But that's generally not the way we get, get an error about this issue. The way we usually are in error is we have opportunities to speak up and we do not. And so I'm coaching myself and talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you to say that God loves sinners. And God has provided a way for sinners not to go to hell, but to go to heaven. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we ought to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. And we ought to have a stewardship of the message of hope that we've been given and to speak truth to people even though it's hard. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. It's both. And so, yes, there is a reality of hell. And I believe that if we were to have a true understanding of what it really is, we, it would be on our lips a whole lot more than it is. So, we don't have to go out, loved ones, in despair. We don't. We have an incredible message, a God who loves us, and it ought to weigh heaven in our hearts to get that message to everybody that we can. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?